I'm really excited today um, to actually just be sharing what God has been um, talking to me about. It feels like quite a long time, actually. Um, and we're going to actually look at um, Ezekiel chapter 47. So uh, feel free to start turning that up if you have got your Bibles. It will come up on the screen as well. Um, and in this chapter, there is this awesome picture of the river of God. So I'm quite excited that already we've had talk of oceans this morning. We've had talk of um, water. Um, and uh, just kind of to link it really, just to last week, um, Rob uh, relaunched our series, didn't he, on the kingdom of God. And I hope that today uh, we will get excited afresh about kingdom living, about living in what Jesus has already done for us. Now, I don't know what springs to your mind when you think of a river. Um, For me, I'm quite a fan of water, quite a fan of being in water. I love the seaside um, to the point where I actually went to a university town that was next to the seaside. And, uh, And actually, I do like to kind of dabble in water sports when I can. Now, this doesn't happen very regularly, um, but uh, some of you know my sister got married recently, and um, it fell to me the great honour of being able to arrange her Hindu. Um, so I chose to go white water rafting. Now, I, I did check with her. She, she was on board with this, um, but it was great to be able to plan that. But um, what I realised was I'd spent so long sort of... Um, on the logistics and organising it and chasing people for money that I hadn't actually imagined getting into the raft and being on the water. So when I turned up, this is a photo of me. Uh, well, I'm, I'm taking the photo looking down. There was a sort of cafe at the top and I saw the course and I did have a little panic because I just suddenly thought, wow, that is going to be me in a minute being tossed about on the waves. So even though it was an artificial course, um, it really kind of brought home to me the power um, that is in water and the power that is in a river. Now, um, as, as we, we know already, we've had sort of mentioned, as I say, of wetness. And if you if you're around last year, if you just cast your mind back, we had a lot of talk about water and wetness, didn't we? So um, we thought about how Jesus says we have these streams of living water living in us. And there was this sort of question over us that um, Rob has alluded to already um, this morning about, are you thirsty? And that's where our thirst meetings sort of came from. And about this time last year, Simon spoke on the river of God from Psalm 46, whose streams make glad the city of God. And I believe that this is a picture that continues to be key for us as a church. And in it often, as this morning, comes out um, in our times of worship and in our times in God's presence. So as I say, I want to share with you what God's been impressing on my heart recently in terms of life in the river and the invitation to come deeper. So in a moment, we're going to read the passage and we'll look at this great picture of the river. We'll look at Ezekiel's experience in the river. And and then I want to draw out some lessons as we look at the symbolism of the river and what it might mean for us as a church. So just a bit of context for Ezekiel before we launch him. Um, The chapter that we're going to have a look at, chapter 47, actually um, belongs to a group of visions that the Lord gave to Ezekiel um, regarding a new temple and a new land. And if you have got your Bibles open, if you just flick back to Ezekiel 40, um, this is sort of the start of this group of visions that the Lord gives to Ezekiel. And um, he describes in the first verse of that chapter, the day that the hand of the Lord was on me and he took me there. So this is a vision that Ezekiel therefore experiences physically, where he is sort of transported into another place in the vision. 
and commentators date the vision to around 570 BC. And this was a time um, of great hardship for God's people. They were in the midst of great suffering. Um, the city of Jerusalem, which elsewhere in the Bible is referred to as the city of God, that sort of centre of religious worship for God's people, that had been destroyed and the temple along with it. And many were exiled to Babylon, including Ezekiel, um, who we learn from the very beginning of the book, um, was a priest and a prophet. And so the people of Israel, God's people, were just scattered all over. Or they were living in poverty in this ruined land. And there was little to indicate that their old way of life would return. And it's at this point that Ezekiel receives his vision. So it's a mixture of the real and the ideal. And in chapters 40 to 46, he's taken on this tour of the new temple and he's led by a man. Most people agree that's probably an angel, this sort of angelic guide. And he sees the glory of the Lord and he's instructed on how the temple should be dedicated. And then we get to chapter 47 and Ezekiel watches as this miraculous river gushes out from underneath the temple, getting wider and wider refreshing the land and bringing life wherever it goes. So should we have a look at it? So chapter 47, and we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep, He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneglame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Father God, I thank you so much for this awesome picture of the river of God that we see here in Ezekiel. God, we thank you that we have already met with you this morning, that rather you have met with us, God, as we have just known 
that sweetness of being in your presence. And God, I pray that as we look at this passage now, that we, um, a bit like the angel says to Ezekiel, son of man, do you see this? Lord, I pray that, that we would have eyes to see. God, that we would see what it is that you want to teach us, the things that you want to deposit in our hearts. God, thank you that there is life in your river. Amen. Great. So shall we start by looking at Ezekiel's experience of being in the river? Now, um, in the natural, unlike most great cities, Jerusalem didn't actually have a river flowing in it. Um, So the river in this sort of prophetic parable um, is this beautiful picture of God's presence and his Holy Spirit. And we see that it flows from the temple. And the end of that passage, verse nine, tells us more specifically, it flows from his sanctuary, the very dwelling place of God with his people. So just pause for a moment just to imagine what that would look like. It's just really great picture language. And we see how the man leads Ezekiel to the very entrance of the temple and he sees the water coming out from under the threshold. And at this point, the water is described as a trickle. And then in the vision, he's led upstream with the man sort of going with his little measuring line. So this is probably a cord or a rope. And he measures off a thousand cubits each time. This is probably about half a kilometre or just under. And then after each of the measurements, all the while, the water levels are rising. Now, what is striking is that Ezekiel is led through the water. He wasn't up on the bank at this point looking down. Rather, at each measurement, he's told to cross the water, i.e. to get in the river, to get his feet wet. And then he gets to to verse 6 and Ezekiel is there at this widest point of the river. It's no longer a trickle, but it's a river that no one could cross. So the water levels have risen. They're probably over his head and it's deep enough for him to swim in. And the man, I love this question, the man asks Ezekiel, son of man, do you see this? It's like, do you get it? The man is showing Ezekiel the water, the source, before he's then led to the vantage point of the riverbank. And then as soon as he does step up onto the riverbank, he notices these great throws of trees on both sides of the river. And the man tells Ezekiel that from there, the river flows into the Arabah. That's the Jordan Valley, which would be a a really desolate, dry desert area. And from there, it enters the Dead Sea, which literally means the Sea of Salt. Now, I'm a little bit of a geography geek. I don't know whether this is a commonly known fact about me, but um, that was my degree subject. So I love anything that's a bit geographical. I'm a big fan of maps. Um, And actually, I I took the opportunity to do a little bit of research about this Dead Sea. And I found out that the Dead Sea is almost 10 times saltier than the ocean. And the reason for this is that it doesn't let any water out to external bodies of water like streams or rivers or oceans. So water flows in, but it can't flow out. And so this water just sort of gathers in lakes or swamps. um, And the only way for the water to escape is through evaporation. And so this concentrates the salt in the basin as rivers flow into it, but then the water can't flow out. So what a contrast between the salty waters of the Dead Sea and this miraculous river that flows in, making the salty water fresh and pure. The water of the Dead Sea, it says, will be healed. 
And this is a picture of the grace of God flowing from his temple, his dwelling place, bringing life and making desert areas into lands of flowing water. Everything that touches the water will live and thrive. So normally fish wouldn't live in the Dead Sea. But here it says the salty waters are made wholesome, great for fish by this river. Verse 9 describes how there'll be swarms, not just a few fish, swarms of living creatures where the river flows. And fishermen will stand there just to gather all these fish and they'll be of many kinds like the fish in the Mediterranean Sea. And actually, not only will there be life in the actual river, but it will flow out and bring life along the riverbank. All kinds of fruit trees will grow along both sides of the river. And I love how these trees are described. Just imagine these trees. They're not like anything we've ever seen. They have leaves that will never wither. So they never go brown. They never fall off. These trees don't experience autumn. And there will always be fruit on the branches and a new crop every month without fail. And this fruit is described as being good for food. It satisfies. And the leaves for healing. Why is this? Because they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. So this river is incredibly significant, bringing life and fruit and healing. Reminds me of the great river described in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, where an angel shows John a vision of heaven. It says in Revelation 22, the first couple of verses, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? There is something about the river of life that brings healing. The river flows from the throne, the very presence of God, and it brings healing to individuals and healing to the nations. And we've seen this, haven't we? we as we spend time in God's presence, God is releasing his healing amongst us. We're seeing this increasingly. Why? Well, it's a sign of his kingdom. God loves it when we pray for healing because it reflects our dependence on him. So what can we learn from this river? Well, just as Ezekiel was led into the river of God, I believe for life to flow, God wants to lead us into his river. To get our feet wet, to be fully immersed, full of his Holy Spirit. Remember, the river symbolizes his presence, his Holy Spirit flowing from the very throne room of God. So it's nothing to do with us. We don't create this river. It's his. And to be in the river is to know that we have no alternative but to rely on him. And so the river is for all those that Jesus calls poor in spirit, those who know that they need God, they have nowhere else to go. God is their only hope. The river is for people like that. And as we've heard already this morning, being thirsty is a characteristic of those that are poor in spirit those that want to dive deeply into the river of God and drink of his refreshment, be satisfied by him alone. I believe God is asking us the question, how deep do you want to go? We have a choice, don't we, about how deeply we dive into God. Now, Ezekiel knew what it was to go deeper in the river. 
the man invited him in his vision to come deeper after each measurement. But to start with, Ezekiel went paddling. Now, when I was little, this reminded me of um, a situation where um, my dad, and my dad used to work for NatWest Bank, and um, he had a role that involved travelling a lot. So he would go and see clients all over the country. And when I was about six, he had he covered a patch of the UK that actually covered all of the Midlands all the way across to West Wales. Um, and one day he was due to go and see um, a client in Aberystwyth, which is ironically where I ended up for university. Um, so this is probably my first experience of going to Aberystwyth. And um, and basically, because it was the school holiday, uh, Dad said, why don't you come along? So my mum and my sister and I all bundled into the car. And the idea was then that Dad would go and have his meetings and see whoever we had to see. And we would have a day out at the seaside, um, which we did, had a lovely day. Um, and it came to, to about time to drive home. And Dad kind of felt he'd, had, he'd missed out. He'd been in this meeting all day. He hadn't really had any experience of the seaside. He could have been anywhere. So he took my sister and I for a little paddle just on the seashore. Now, the wind had got up at this point, so my mum very wisely stayed in the car um, and Dad took us, me and my sister Emily, down um, to the water's edge. And we had a little paddle, all was great, until all of a sudden this huge wave came and just dragged my sister, who would have been about three at the time, off her feet. Now, because my dad was tall and he was only in ankle deep water, he was easily able to pluck her back off to safety. Now, I wonder perhaps if Ezekiel was a bit scared by the invitation of going deeper. Could he swim or not? My dad certainly learned his lesson at the beach that day about the power of water. But in shallow water, we maintain control. Now, we let children paddle in ankle-deep water because generally it's quite safe. We can control the situation. We can sort of swish around and keep our balance and go in any direction we want to. And we can do things our way. And we prefer this, don't we? We like to be in control. But the problem with this is that you only get so far when you're in ankle-deep water in the river of God. We may still know the Holy Spirit, We may even have seen some of God's power, but there is restriction. Most of the time we'll sort of be confined to safe areas, ministries or choices that are familiar to us, that we know how to control. We know how we do well, know how to produce results. And the problem, of course, with that is then we are relying on ourselves rather than on his Holy Spirit. And I believe that one of the side effects of this is that we can fall into this comparison trap. So as we rely on our own strength, there's the danger that we can feel either better than somebody else, so don't I do this well, or we feel inferior, oh, I'm not as good at them in this area. And then that can paralyse us and stop us from running the unique race that God has set out for us to run. Another side effect of doing things our own way and keeping hold of the reins is that Actually, we can fear failure a lot more and we get scared of making mistakes. Now, this is something that I have to talk to God about a lot. I like to be seen as competent and reliable. I like to get things right. Um, And God actually has shown me that ever since I was a little girl, I've learned how to sort of control that by planning and preparing and being ready. I've got really good at that. 
Now, lots of you know that um, in August, um, I went out to join the lovely Sarah in uh, South Africa um, at the Irish Ministries base there called Footprints. And uh, God used a situation there one day to show me how restrictive my reliance on planning and preparing can be. So Sarah and I were leading the preschool when we were out there. And one day we were just heading down to the schoolhouse uh, when some of the older teenagers called across to us and said, um, oh, one of you needs to come and do our morning devotions. There wasn't anybody else around. So after quick consideration with Sarah, um, I agreed to do it. Sarah had done a couple uh, previously um, and I sort of legged it back to our cabin to grab my Bible, just praying frantically for inspiration. Now, this isn't how I like to do things. I feel much more comfortable being able to sit down, plan it out, have a little time to reflect. Um, But God was showing me something different here. So I quickly returned to the gazebo where the 10 or so teenagers were waiting. um, And we just had an awesome time looking together at Psalm 103, just exploring each of the things that David thanks God for. So how he forgives our sins and heals all our diseases and redeems our life from the pits. Now, it's a simple illustration, but for me, that was an opportunity to go deeper in God's river, to move from the shallow place of self-reliance, which for me looks like planning and preparation, where I know how to produce the goods, and into the deeper place of letting him take control, relying on his spirit and saying yes to stepping out in courage and just having a go, rather than being dictated to by the fear of getting it wrong. So God does not want us to stay in the shallow place. And it actually gets quite exhausting having to wade through ankle deep water. If you imagine doing that, you have to keep looking where you put your feet. You have to keep looking down rather than letting the current of the water take you. So there is another way. God's power and his presence are much more powerful than our ability to stand in our own strength. He has deeper places for us. The deep water is where we let go of control in order to swim. Now, I wonder how far and how deep Ezekiel wanted to go. Did he long to go all the way in? Remember, the man leads him from that ankle-deep, shallow water to water that is knee-deep and then waist-deep until it's over his head, too deep for him to cross. Now, the current here would have been powerful and the water far too high for him to have any stability apart from in the Lord. So diving into the river means we cannot have anything. We cannot stand on our own strength. We have to lift our feet off the floor and relinquish all control in order to swim. God wants to take us beyond what we can control. Instead of producing our own predictable results, we look to him for everything to be so reliant on God that we cannot continue without his intervention. Rob reminded us last week that we'll never live the kingdom life if we rely on our own strength. We can't, and why would we want to? So what does it look like to swim in the river of God? Well, firstly, I believe that it's a place of freedom, freedom from striving. In the river, we get to lay it all down. All the heavy burdens, all the plates spinning, the agenda. There is no place for performance in the river. It's a place of surrender, a place of rest. Catherine Coleman, who led evangelistic crusades in 1940s America, said, God is not looking for golden vessels. He is not looking for silver vessels. God is looking for yielded vessels. 
Our availability qualifies us to be used by God and weakness is key to this. The upside down way of the kingdom is that there is strength in, in acknowledging that we cannot do things for ourselves, that we need God's help in everything. I sometimes wonder if God watches us as we try to hide our weakness and hide our doubts and hide our fear and waits patiently just for us to stop, to be honest and to say, I just can't. It's then that his grace lifts us, his wisdom can guide us and his strength can carry us. I love the message paraphrase of Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation. When we're in the river of God's presence where the waters run deep and we've taken our feet off the floor, we will experience life and rest. And this is a place of truly relying on who he says we are. Beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly father who don't have to do anything to earn his approval because Jesus has already done it on the cross. That we are made free from sin and accusation and we belong in his presence because he's made his home in our heart. So instead of striving and producing our own predictable results, the Holy Spirit produces his fruit and brings his healing. In this place, we are free to be the person that God made us to be and to kill comparison. There is no competition in the kingdom. And so also we are free to make mistakes. We are going to get stuff wrong. If our identity is firmly in Christ and what he says about us, then we won't just stick to safe areas, things that we know we do well. So we won't measure success by outcome, but rather by God's measure of success, obedience, where we take our feet off the floor and come and swim in the river of his Holy Spirit, doing things his way in the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, the second thing that happens when we swim in God's river is that we are given this hallmark of joy. Now, in the river, joy is not a luxury item. It is to be our constant companion. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's joy. It is a hallmark of those who have been filled with the Spirit. Romans 14, 17 describes the kingdom of God as a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we know all sorts of situations will attempt to rob us of our peace and our joy. And I found great encouragement this week that the Bible tells us, this has already been referred to this morning, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. This picture refers to the Old Testament priests who were told in Hebrews 10 had to stand day after day to perform religious duties again and again, offering sacrifices which could never take away sins permanently. In contrast, Jesus gets to sit at the right hand of the Father because he is our high priest who offered for all time one sacrifice when he died on the cross. And as Hebrews goes on to tell us, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. 
And what I find most incredible is that Ephesians 2 tells us that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So when battles come to us that threaten to steal our joy, we do not fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory. Jesus is sat at the right hand of God. And because we are saved by grace, we are seated with him. Jesus has already won. He never intended us to fight in our own strength. Finally, swimming in the river looks like getting others wet. Now, the river is not just for us to keep to ourselves. It's to flow out to others. Remember what Jesus says in John 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Holy Spirit. Are we thirsty for the river of his presence, his Holy Spirit to well up inside us and create these streams of living water that flow out and affect everyone that we come into contact with? Angela Kem encouraged us, didn't she, a couple of weeks ago to be expectant about what God is going to do with us. We're the church, the salt and light of the world. We come here to be filled up and then we go out into our communities to make a difference, bringing rescue and hope and joy and healing and salvation. God's river causes this well to spring up in us. Angela encouraged us, didn't she, that just like um, in Genesis 26, where Isaac went and reopened the wells that Abraham had dug, but had got stopped up by the Philistines, so too the wells are open now in our day. God is opening the wells. And as a church in the centre of this town, are we ready to be salt and light? Wherever we go, we can expect something to happen because we carry the Holy Spirit. We are free to bring something of God's authority and compassion and help and kindness into society, showing people a new way, a different way, different from what society is used to, to let people experience the aroma of Christ. So there's an invitation today. As we finish... Are you swimming in God's river? God's asking us, how deep do you want to go? What does it look like for you to swim in the river? The place that's free from striving, free from self-reliance, marked by this hallmark of joy in the Holy Spirit, even in the face of trial. The place where the streams of living water from his Holy Spirit well up inside us and flow out and affect everybody that we meet. The Father says to us, come deeper. Stop paddling in the shallows. I want you to get really wet. The place where you give up striving, give up the control and let him take us in the current of his love. And remember, the river is for those that are poor in spirit, those who know they have nowhere else to go, those who know that God is their only hope. Now, perhaps today God is drawing you to himself for the first time to get in the river. Or maybe you want to ask God for the river of the Holy Spirit to flow afresh within you. Or again, maybe for the first time. You want that infilling of his spirit, which he promises to us. We don't have to twist his arm. He's a good father. 
Remember Jesus's words in John 7. Come, if you're thirsty, come. Come and drink. Come and be filled. Come and be refreshed. Let those living waters flow. So I'd love to pray for us and just invite God to come. So I'd invite you to stand and let's just be open to him. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you so much for this picture, amazing picture of your presence and your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your presence is like a mighty river. Thank you that it changes the landscape just as a river gouges out the riverbank and the hills. Lord, so your presence doesn't leave things as they are. God, thank you that your river of love, your river of the Holy Spirit changes us. And I pray that Holy Spirit, you would just fill us afresh today. Would you come? Jesus, thank you that we don't have to stay in the shallow places. You never intended that. Lord, we're sorry for where we try to do things our way. Lord, we repent of self-reliance. We are so dependent on you. We want to take our feet off the floor where it's scary sometimes, but where we can be carried in the current of your love. Thank you that you are so good to us. God, I pray that as we swim, Lord, you would cause these wells of living water to bubble up from within us that they would flow out as streams to all of those that you put us into contact with. Lord, we want to make a difference in our communities. And thank you that, again, it's nothing that we do. Lord, it's all what you have put inside of us, that treasure that is from you. God, we thank you for your presence. We love you. Amen.